You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, uh, we have spent the last three weeks in one of the great chapters of the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 15, just an amazing, an amazing uh, chapter. It's full of the particular type of encouragement that your heart and my heart needs if we're going to live faithfully in this world that Jesus has given us to live in. You need this chapter and I need this chapter. And so I want to spend just one more morning thinking through this chapter with you. You could think of this morning as a sort of summary uh, sermon over 1 Corinthians 15. So we're going to take some of the high points of 1 Corinthians 15, and then we're going to finish in verse 58, where this uh, chapter leaves us. So it's going to come to you in three parts, just reminders from 1 Corinthians 15, things Paul's wanting to communicate to you. Make sure you're aware of from 1 Corinthians 15. So three parts. Here's the first part. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that the gospel is good news. It's reminding us of that. So Paul says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15, Now I would remind you, brothers. So this is something we need to be reminded of, that, that we're prone to be forgetful of, that we need like daily reminders of this thing right here. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. That, that's what the chapter is about. It is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that word gospel means good news. It's great news. It's like the best news that you could ever have. It's, it's that kind of news. The gospel is good news. It's such good news that William Tyndale said, it makes a man's heart glad. It makes him sing and dance and leap for joy. That's the sort of change. That's the sort of difference this news makes. It's good news that can change a human life. Now, one of the ways we love to illustrate that is by imagining a group of prisoners of war. So you see them there, they're in a fence, they're on lockdown, uh, they're being abused daily, they're starving, uh, you know, they look half dead, their faces are gaunt, some of them are dying each day, it's just, it's a terrible scene inside th th that fence. But after months of tinkering with a broken radio, uh, that radio comes to life. And they uh, turn the dial and they hear news that liberating forces are just miles from their camp where they're being held right now. And just imagine if you're the guard. You look back inside that, that fence with these abused people in it and you see this weird sight. These gaunt, starving men are now laughing and cheering and they're banging on pots and pans. They're just, they're going nuts in there. Now, what is happening in that moment? Nothing has changed inside the camp. They're still getting abused. They're still starving to death, right? A few of them are still dying each day. All of that's still happening inside the camp. But everything has changed in their hearts. Friends, that is the difference good news makes to a human heart. It really does change lives. The gospel is good news. It's good news that God saves through substitution. Look again at 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, verse 2, and by which you are being saved. And then you get to verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. So this isn't like third down on the list. It's not fifth down. This is of first importance. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. You can summarize the good news of Jesus in four words. If you had to pick four, here would be my four. Jesus in my place. 
Those four words get you right down to the core of the good news of Jesus. What was his became ours. And what was ours became his. So let's think about the life of Jesus. He lived a perfect life. Everywhere that you have fallen, stumbled into sin and temptation, Jesus perfectly stood. And his perfect life became ours. God, God now looks at us through the perfect life of Jesus. Let's think about the death of Jesus. On that Friday a few thousand years ago, Jesus was taken to a hill outside of Jerusalem and there he was nailed on a tree. And on that tree, God's right wrath for our sin was loosed. But rather than crushing sinners, it crushed God's beloved son. Jesus was cut down and crushed in our place for our sin. Right? What was ours? The death we deserved became his. He, he took our death. The gospel is good news that you can be saved from God's wrath through substitution. Doesn't matter how far you've gone into sin, doesn't matter how far you are from God, you can be saved from God's wrath through substitution. Now, how are we saved? Uh, the New City Catechism is a resource that we encourage every family. If you've got young kids in your house, you ought to get the New City Catechism and uh, use that as a disciple, sort of a disciple-making tool in your family. Just giving you good theology with simple questions and simple answers. Here is question 29 of the New City Catechism. How can we be saved? Could there be a more important question? I mean, that, that's like right up there at the top of the list, right? How can we be saved from the wrath of God? How can we be brought into God's family? How can we be saved? Here's the answer. Only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. That's how we're saved. It's only by faith. Faith is a throwing of your life upon something. It's depending on something. It's trusting and treasuring something. And what is that something? It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. It's throwing your life upon Jesus. It's depending on Jesus. It's trusting and treasuring the person of Jesus, but not just the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus. So only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary, atoning death on the cross. It's trusting that in his life that he lived for you and in his death that he died for you, a relationship with God is now reopened. That, that you can be made right with God. That you can be brought into God's family forever. Enjoying God for the rest of your days, for all eternity. Right? That, that's how we're saved. And before we move on, can we just ask that most important question? Has there been a moment you have put your faith in Jesus? Where, where you have done that? Put your faith in Jesus and his substitutionary atoning work on the cross. Right? Jesus in your place. Has that happened? Has there been a moment when you've made that decisive move toward Jesus? Trusting and treasuring Jesus. Depending on Jesus. Not on what you do, but on what Jesus has done for you. Has that moment happened? There's nothing more important in your life. This is of first importance in your life. It doesn't matter what else you get right if you get this one wrong. Have you pushed your entire life in with Jesus? Has that moment happened? This is how the gospel goes from being good news for people out there to good news for you. The gospel is good news. Second part, the gospel is good news of a resurrection. 
It's good news of a resurrection. Look at verses three and four. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. But that's not all that Christ did. Look at verse four. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection of Jesus. Imagine for a moment if we found the bones of Jesus. That'd be a bad day, wouldn't it? I mean, somebody scraping around somewhere in the Middle East, we find the bones of Jesus. In other words, he wasn't resurrected, right? We found the bones somewhere of Jesus. Uh, years ago, a book came out on that very possibility. And what was the most interesting thing about that book is uh, not what the book was saying, but the responses to that book of we found the bones of Jesus, imagining that possibility. Here was what one pastor said about that. He said, if the bones of Jesus were to be discovered, it would be a big finding, that to say the least it would be, right? It caused us to adjust our understanding of Christianity. But ultimately, the truth and power of Christianity would remain undisturbed. We'd still have all of Jesus's teachings, and we'd have all of his stories, and we'd have his wonderful example of love for the outcast. And even though Easter wouldn't be about the physical resurrection of Jesus, we'd go on celebrating the example and testimony of this great man who lives on in our hearts and who inspires us to be kind to other people. Even if the tomb wasn't empty, he says, our hearts would still be full. I mean, that sounds so good. But I just want you to imagine what Paul would say to that person. What, what Paul would say to this pastor. He would look at that pastor and say, have you lost your mind? I mean, there is something that you are not seeing clearly about the resurrection. I think Paul would look at that pastor and remind him that without the resurrection, there is no good news. There is no good news apart from the resurrection. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is saying that without the resurrection, you are going to be stuck in the grave forever. That's verses 12 and 13. Without the resurrection, all of this preaching about Jesus, it is all worthless. That's verse 14. Without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. You believing and trusting in Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus, it is all worthless apart from the resurrection. Uh, without the resurrection, Paul says that we are still in our sins, verse 17. Uh, without the resurrection, Paul says, listen, this is the best option for your life. You should just eat, drink, and be merry. You should just do everything you can to eke out as much joy now as you can possibly find. That's what you should do with your life. In, in verse 19, Paul says it this way. If in Christ we have hope in this life only. Okay, that's Paul saying, if there is no resurrection, if the resurrection, if we find the bones of Jesus somewhere, right? If there is no resurrection, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, look at what Paul says. We are of all people most to be pitied. Church, without the resurrection, there is no good news. The good news goes away. There is no good news without the resurrection. But the gospel announces good news of a resurrection, of an empty tomb. Church, we don't just worship a perfect Jesus, although he is perfect. We don't just worship a suffering Jesus, although he did die in our place for our sins. Church, we worship a resurrected Jesus. Amen? That's the Jesus we worship. 
Now, let me give you two reasons why the resurrection is good news. Two reasons why. First, the resurrection promises a bright future. This is one reason why the resurrection is good news. It promises a bright future. This is what we talked a lot about last week. And that bright future promised by the resurrection is bigger than just your life and just my life. It is as big as the universe itself. Again, think about the storyline of the Bible. The Bible begins with God creating everything that you see, right? That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then three chapters in, sin broke everything, the entirety of God's creation. This is why Paul, looking back upon Genesis 3, can say this about it in Romans 8.20, that the creation was subjected to futility. It's broken. It's frustrated. It's not the way it was supposed to be. Nothing you see in creation is natural. Nothing you see in creation is the way it was in Genesis 1 and 2. It has all been affected by sin. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, we read this last week. Let me just give you, the, uh, give you this one more time. He, he's just commenting on that, how uh, creation really is subjected to futility. It, creation really is broken. He says, everything here is blighted and subject to storm or to decay or to sudden death or to calamity of some sort. He says, it, it's a fair world. You can find some beauty in this world, but there is the shadow of the curse over it all. The slime of the serpent is on all of our Edens now. Friends, that is so true. East of Eden, the slime of the serpent is everywhere. The curse has cast a shadow over every part of God's good creation. You're not going to go to any place in this world or in the universe that does not have a shadow on it and some slime on it. Nothing's natural now because of sin. But God hasn't given up on this broken world. A day's coming when God will reverse the curse, when he's going to renovate this broken world, fixing everything in it, making all things new. And the movie trailer to that renovation plan was shown 2,000 years ago in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus announces good news of a bright future for the entirety of our rundown world. For, for this world that is frustrated and broken by sin, the resurrection announces good news to our world. But it also announces good news to you. The resurrection promises a bright future for you. The resurrection reminds all of those in Christ that your best days are not behind you. They are in front of you. Aren't we grateful for that? There's never going to be a moment in your life where your best days are behind you. If you're in Christ, they're always before you. If you had to pick two verses to memorize out of 1 Corinthians 15, here would be the two that I would pick. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, behold, that's Paul's way of saying, stop. I want you to gaze at this. I want you to set your attention on this. Give your attention to this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. There's going to be a day where this happens. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. That, that day is coming for us. Twice, Paul says in this text, hey, you know what's in your future? Change. Comprehensive change. A change that's going to last forever. That's what's in your future. For those in Christ, here's a part of that change. You're going to get new resurrection bodies. Yes and amen to that, right? 
That's going to be a great day for us. You're going to get new resurrection bodies. Those are coming for you. You're going to get the, you're going to get not just new bodies, you're going to get new inward beauty. There's going to be a day where you are changed so that no sin remains in you. Can you just imagine what your life would feel like if you didn't have any sin left in you? That day is coming for you when you will be fully and finally changed by Jesus. The resurrection announces that good news, a promise of a bright future. Here's the second thing uh, that makes the resurrection good news. The resurrection killed death. It's part of what the resurrection has done. It has defeated death. When's the last time you've thought about death? When's the last time you give thought and attention to death? According to the scriptures, death is an unavoidable problem. Every one of us are going to have to face death. Blaise Pascal, he sees the problem rightly when he wrote this years ago. He said, imagine a number of men in chains. Can you just see the imagery? Imagine a number of men in chains. They're, they're locked up in a prison somewhere. They're, they're in chains. Imagine a number of men in, in chains all under the sentence of death. Some of whom are butchered each day in the sight of others. Those remaining see their own condition in that of their friends and looking at each other with grief and despair await their turn. He goes on to say, this is an image of the human condition. It is an image of the human condition. East of Eden, every human lives under the sentence of death. From our first to our final breath, we all live under the shadow of death. But if you're like me, you do everything possible to avoid making eye contact, right? I mean, if we can just sort of keep it over there somewhere, right? If we can just avoid, uh, avoid the shadow, ignore the shadow, keep it at a distance. We all know death is there, but we all hope that if we ignore death, surely it will ignore me. And there's a reason we want to ignore death. In the scriptures, death isn't presented as a friend to be cherished, but as an enemy to be hated. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 26, Paul calls death the last enemy. And there's a reason that we hate the enemy of death. We hate death because death is horrible. Think about what death does. Over time, death strips everyone of everything. That's what death does. Uh, death is less like a single moment at the end of your life and more like a process that culminates at the end of your life. Where it's just slowly stripping away, eating away at everything that we love. So you just give death enough time and here's the sort of things that death is going to strip from you. It's going to strip your health from you. Some of us already feel death doing that work in us today. It's going to strip your physical ability. We talked about this last week. Hey, the peak is like 27, 28. That's the peak of our physical potential. And it's been a hot minute since some of us have been there, right? But that's as good as it is, right? Death is stripping our physical capability. Uh, death, you give it enough time, it's going to strip your mental capacities, your ability to work. You give it enough time and death is going to take from you all of those you love and everything you love doing. And listen, death has no heart. It's ruthless in the stripping. 
It strips everyone of everything. And death has no respect for wealth. It has no respect for what you've accomplished. It has no respect for the richness of your relationships. Death eats everything. Everything. And that's why billionaire Boone Pickens, in a last letter, this is right before he uh, died, at 91 years old, right before he died, he wrote this. I'd give up my wealth. I'd give my success. I'd give my 68,000 acre ranch. I'd give my private jet. I'd give all of those things for a chance to start over. But death makes no deals. And it's because death is so horrible that we become experts at hiding from death. Uh, if you think about our culture, we really do live in a culture of death deniers. D.A. Carson is right when he says, the modern mood is to live life as if death is not waiting for us at the end. It's so true. That is the modern mood. But friends, you can ignore death all you want, but it will not ignore you. It is an unavoidable problem. The Bible is clear. Death is waiting for us. You can eat all the broccoli you want, right? You can eat all, you go to the gym and, and pound the weights all you want. You can eat all the vitamins you want. You can sniff those essential oils. You can do it all. But death is waiting for us. And there is only, only one solution to the unavoidable problem of death. Only one. And that one solution is the risen Jesus. That is the only solution we have to this massive, huge, unavoidable problem in our life. The gospel is the story of Jesus doing what we desperately need but cannot do on our own. And what we need but cannot do on our own is to kill death. This is why when we get to verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15, we read this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Paul says, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one reason a Christian can look at the grave and laugh. It is because our Lord walked out of that grave. That's the reason we can. There's only one reason Paul can mock death in this passage. There's only one reason he can say, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your, he's just mocking it. There's only one reason. It's because he has a resurrected Savior. That's the reason. The resurrection takes death, our worst nightmare, and turns it into a doorway to all that our hearts have ever wanted, namely Jesus himself. The resurrection reminds us that everything our enemies of Satan, sin, and death have robbed from us, Jesus will one day give back, but in an in, in, in even better form, an even better version of what has been robbed from us. It reminds us of that. This is why the gospel is such good news. It's the best of news. It's good news of a resurrection. And then we'll end here. The gospel is good news that empowers today. That empowers today. I really just want to leave you where this chapter leaves you. And this chapter leaves you with verse 58. Paul says, therefore, in light of everything that we have just talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, 
My beloved brothers, my sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. My assumption for, from all of us here today is that you want to live a great life for Jesus' sake. I hope that's in you somewhere, just an ambition for that and an aim for that. I want my life to count for Jesus. I want to live a great life for Jesus' sake. And Paul could not be more clear here. It's the good news that empowers great lives. You need the good news if you want a great life. So 1 Corinthians 15 has 57 verses of what we might just call gospel goodness. I mean, it is just amazing. The whole chapter is lifting up our chin, allowing us to gaze at the good news of Jesus. Right? It's this good news that Jesus saves. This good news that Jesus saves through substitution. This good news of a resurrection. A promise of a bright future that there's more to, to this life than this life. It's this promise that death has been defeated. Right? It's just, it's lifting up our chin so that we can gaze upon that gospel goodness. And the good news is meant to be like fuel in your tank. Empowering you to abound in the work of the Lord. I was just thinking about this moment of the sermon last night. Just asking the Lord, God, would you, would you take this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and would you pour it into the tank of our hearts so, so that we, the people of Stonegate, would always abound, always abound in the work of the Lord. God, would you do that today? I'm praying that for you right now, that God would be pouring 1 Corinthians 15 in your heart so that this could happen for you, so that a great life could be empowered. It says always abound in the work of the Lord. It's not just a little work of the Lord. No, it's abounding in the work of the Lord. And it's not just sometimes, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, what does it mean to abound in the work of the Lord? I like how one commentator said it. He said, well, that means to fill your days with things that count for Christ. I think it's a good way to think about it. It means filling your days with those things that count for Christ. Helping people see the beauty of Jesus. Telling people about Jesus. Helping people grow up in Jesus and mature in Jesus. It's just saying yes to every good work that Jesus sets before you. That is abounding in the work of the Lord. It's, it's living for those things now that will mean most to you then. Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? I mean, just look back over your life maybe yesterday. Maybe last week. Maybe the last month. The last year. Is this true of you? Are, are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? And listen, if your answer is no today, this passage is really an invitation to you. To lift your chin, to set your attention upon the good news of Jesus, and allow that good news to empower a great life. You always abounding in the work of the Lord. This passage is inviting you back into that. It's Jesus saying, will you come back over with me? I've got things for you to do. I've got good works for you planned. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And Paul shows us what we're going to need to do that. What we're going to need to always abound in the work of the Lord. He says, be steadfast. So that is alerting us to filling our days with things that count for Christ means filling our days with hard things. 
difficult things, things that are so hard that you're going to want to quit at some point, that you're going to be tempted to find an easier route for your life, an easier path for your life. So Paul says, no, let the resurrection make you steadfast, staying in those things that are counting for Jesus, staying in those hard things in your life. Be steadfast. He says, be immovable. If you're going to fill your days with things that count for Christ, that means you are going to experience opposition. Things are going to war against that. You, you have real enemies. You have the real enemy of Satan. He's warring against you, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You have your own flesh, that remaining sin in you that's at war with you, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Right? You have the world that's conspiring against Jesus and you abounding in the work of the Lord. Maybe you could picture a tsunami. And it's about to crash into this beach. But the beach has this massive 10,000 ton boulder just sitting right there in the middle of the beach. And here comes the tsunami. It sweeps in. It just wrecks everything. And then it, it, then it recedes. It, it comes back out. And as it comes back out, you look at the beach. And there's that boulder unmoved by all of that opposition. That's the picture of what the resurrection can make you immovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then he says this last phrase. He says, knowing, knowing. So every day we have to wake up knowing this because we're prone to forget this. We're prone to, to, to this, it just gets foggy in us. So we've got to wake up knowing this. He says, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Friends, there is more to this life than this life. And the resurrection opens the windows of this world so that we can see through this life to forever. Right? That's one of the, the benefits and the graces and the gifts of the resurrection. It, it lets us see through this life to the next one. But the resurrection doesn't just help us see through this life into the next one. The resurrection takes everything we do now for Jesus' sake and it throws it through that open window so that it will ripple through eternity forever. Is that not amazing to consider? That every hard thing you do for Jesus, every moment of self-denial, every moment of you telling someone about Jesus, every moment of you laboring in prayer, every moment of sacrificial generosity, every moment of hard obedience, everything you've ever done for Jesus' sake, is going to show up again on the other side of this life. That's what the resurrection's promising you. So Paul says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Um, I'll end with this. Back in my early 20s, I came across a quote from C.T. Studd. He was a British missionary. Uh, he went to China, India, Africa. He uh, lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I came across this line from him. He said, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, you get one life, that's it, and it's a short one. You get one short life, but everything done for Christ will last.
that everything, your labor for Jesus' sake will last. It will last forever. So Paul says, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Amen? Why don't you pray with me? I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful. The gospel really is good news. And the most important question of your life is, has it become good news to you, for you? God stands so ready to save today. Have you put your faith in the resurrected Jesus? Have you thrown your life on him? If not, friends, make this your day. Make this your day. Just there where you are, you can call out to the Lord. And for the rest of us, are we abounding in the work of the Lord? The good news of Jesus really is meant, aimed at, it empowers great lives. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are you abounding in the work of the Lord today? If not, Jesus is inviting you back into that. He's looking at you and saying, I I have designed before there was such a thing as time. Good works for you. I've prepared them for you. I'm inviting you into these things. So Father, would you take 1 Corinthians 15 and would you pour it into our hearts today? Father, and I pray that it would empower great lives in this room, sacrificial lives, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And it's in the good name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.